from Turtle Island to Palestine. Occupation is a crime. Free, free Palestine! You're listening to Radio Free Palestine. Welcome everyone, you are listening to Under the Olive Tree, the Palestine Solidarity Radio Show on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal and on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario. My name is Sausan Kadura and I will be your host for the next hour.
So today we are focusing on the Canadians who serve in the Israeli occupation army. We are talking about Canadians who choose to enroll in the Israeli army permanently or temporarily, or Canadians who go volunteer in the army for a few weeks, sometimes several times. Now, as you would expect, the Canadian government discourages Canadians to enroll in other countries' armies. There are many legislations that reflect that, which, uh, which makes sense. Despite that, the Canadian government seems to be turning a blind eye on that phenomenon and even letting various groups and organizations actively try to recruit Canadians to the Israeli army. Now, there are right now 112 Canadians who are enrolled in the Israeli army. They are called lone soldiers. And these numbers are according to the rec- a recent um, Haaretz article. Now, we might think that because it's a very small numbers of Canadians who really end up actually doing this, that maybe Canada doesn't really care much and doesn't want to give it much attention. This is why it's kind of ignoring it. But... Um, But it seems it's not really true because they definitely want to give it attention, um, but not for the right reason, at least recently. So we recently learned in the news, uh, it was reported, in January, the Canadian embassy in Israel organized an event to actually celebrate these Canadians. The Canadian ambassador even said, and I'm quoting, we both share a love of Canada and a love of Israel, We at the embassy are very proud of what you're doing. And what they're doing is, as I mentioned, uh, enrolling and be uh, a soldier in the Israeli occupation army. Now, if you think that's bizarre, it kind of is, regardless of what you think about the actions of the Israeli government or the Israeli army, it is bizarre for a Canadian official to openly celebrate and even encourage Canadians to enroll in another country's army other than its own. So what does that indicate, this celebration at the Canadian Embassy, these statements? What does it indicate about our government's support for apartheid Israel? Is our support so blind these days, no questions asked, that we're reaching levels of absurdity, really, that is kind of funny at this point? I mean, what kind of Canadian official would would openly say that they are so proud of Canadians who serve other militaries? Um... So it is kind of, uh, it is this sort of absurdity at high level. Um, so today we will look at this phenomenon. This, uh, this phenomenon, as I mentioned, they're called lone soldiers. And there are not only Canadians, actually, uh, the majority of them are from the US. Uh, after that, uh, Ukraine, Russia, France and Canada is in fifth place in, term of, in terms of the number of lone soldiers they produce, I guess. So what are the purpose of these lone soldiers? And that's the biggest question. Why the Israeli government is spending millions of dollars on initiatives that try to recruit them, despite them remaining, despite all the spending, they remain a very tiny minority. So to answer that and more, I will be playing an interview I did yesterday with Eve Engler. Eve is an author and uh, activist journalist. He wrote um, recently an article called Canada Celebrates Agents of Palestinian Misery. So this article is about that in particular. 
The article was published in the Palestine Chronicle. So next I will play this interview that looked more into that bizarre trend. Stay tuned on Under the Olive Tree. The Canadian Embassy in Israel invited 73 Canadians in Israel at the moment to an event at the embassy to celebrate them. If you are wondering what did they do to deserve celebration from the Canadian Embassy, well, these Canadians are actually serving currently in the Israeli army. These young people are called lone soldiers. They are non-Israelis who joined the Israeli occupation army. They are not only Canadians, actually the majority are from the United States. Lone soldiers represent only 2% of the Israeli army. Many of them drop out or serve for a short period before going back to their original country. So they don't have a major impact on the army itself. And some Israeli military officials are even asking that some of these lone soldiers' programs to be shut down entirely. Despite that, millions of dollars continue to be spent by the Israeli government on initiatives and programs that still aims at convincing young people to join or volunteer in the Israeli occupation army. So why is that? If lone soldiers are not a major asset for the Israeli army operations, why are they still so important for the apartheid government in Palestine, Israel? So to try to answer these questions, and also, uh, most importantly, to look at this trend in Canada in particular, and what our government is doing about it, if they're doing anything, I have with me on the phone author and activist Eve Engler. So first of all, thank you, Eve, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So I guess before we talk about Israel in particular, and the case of Israel in particular, can we maybe talk more in general? So when I saw the news first, to be honest, I was kind of surprised. I was wondering if it's even legal for Canadians to to go serve in, in another country's army. And uh, I start thinking some people have dual nationalities, so maybe some people served before coming, some people maybe grew up here and go live in another country, might serve there. So there are nuances in that. So I realize it's actually not illegal. There are some cases where it is, but it's not really illegal. But despite that, there is, and this is something you explain in the article, that the government, the Canadian government, has legislations that, you know, discourage that, which is expected. So can you maybe talk to us about that. So talk to us about how the Canadian government basically deal with that question. The Canadian government has uh, legislation on the books uh, since the 1930s, uh, the Foreign Enlistment Act, which um, uh, technically makes it illegal to um, to recruit um, for another country's uh, military within Canada. Um, the Canadian government, that was adopted during the uh, the Spanish Civil War when the Canadian government was trying to deter um, Canadians from going to fight against uh, uh, Franco's uh, fascist forces in uh, in Spain. Um, the Canadian government also has legislation or rules, should I say, under the uh, Canada Revenue Agency has rules with regards to uh, official Canadian charities uh, not being allowed to uh, claim um, uh, funding for other armies as a charitable cause. Their rationale for that is to say that that takes away if if they get a if they give a tax credit for fundraising for another country's military that takes away money um, that could go to the Canadian military. Um, so you can you can raise funds for the for projects that support the Canadian military and be a, a charitable donation, but not for a foreign uh, a military. Um, and so so it's not it's not illegal to fight for another country's uh, military, but clearly the Canadian government. Um, uh, seeks to uh, to discourage uh, that 
Um, in the case of, uh, of um, in most countries, in the case of most countries, the King government seeks to discourage that. In the case of Israel, um, that's uh, obviously not the case, as uh, as uh, uh, happened in January, where the Canadian ambassador in Israel, uh, Deborah Lyons, was um, you know celebrating uh, Canadians uh, fighting in the Israeli military. Um, but uh, but for other countries' militaries, as a general rule. Um, it's uh, it's it's viewed in a negative way to uh, uh, for Canadians to go fight for those countries' militaries. So, as you explained, uh, there's a lot of legislation that kind of discourages when it comes to trying to recruit for other armies, like you said, or support them, fund them. Despite that, and this is something you explain in the article, many uh, with many examples, these act- there is activities happening in Canada, at least in the case of Israel. Uh, of organization uh, doing exactly that. So I want to start first with the, with the idea of recruiting, so the attempts to recruit Canadians to join the Israeli army. Can you maybe, you mentioned many examples uh, in your article. Can you talk about these examples? How, how concretely, what does that mean? How does that happen that in Canada there's these attempts or initiatives to recruit for an Israeli army? Well, the back in November, um, the uh, uh, Israeli consulate in Toronto uh, put out uh, uh, a message for. It was a little bit unclear if it's Israelis living in Toronto uh, who might um, be at the age where they need to fulfill their their um, their military requirements according to Israeli law. Uh, or if it's for Canadians who may want to join the Israeli military, the, the, the statement's a little bit unclear. But there seems to be some degree of, of, uh, of you know, very formal uh, recruiting from the from the Israeli state um, uh, within Canada. Anyone who picks up the Canadian Jewish News would be uh, familiar with different advertisements in that newspaper. Um, for different projects that to support the Israeli uh, military. Um, some of those uh, are about trying to get uh, so-called lone soldiers, as you refer to it, which is essentially non-Israelis, uh, to go fight for the Israeli military. Uh, some of those projects are for Canadians to go volunteer on the Israeli military base, um, some of those are just, uh, um, you know, sort of events that take place in Canada where there's Israeli military officials speaking and, and you know, sort of promoting the Israeli military that way. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, the, so there are these, you know, different uh, uh, organizations that um, try to draw Canadians um, uh, into uh, um, the Israeli military um, and, uh and some of these organizations, this is some of this is a little bit, a little bit uh, unclear, but some of these organizations appear to have uh, charitable status mm-hmm. in this country. And again, the Canada Revenue Agency's uh, regulations around uh, charitable status are pretty, are pretty um, are strong on the question of not um, money can't be raised to support uh, um, other countries' militaries. Um, the whole the the ways in which um, charitable uh, donations get channeled through umbrella organizations can be a little bit unclear, um, and uh, you know and uh, there is a campaign um, that independent Jewish voices and a number of Palestine solidarity activists have launched around the Jewish National Fund, 
uh, and their support um, for the for the Israeli military um, and trying to get the Jewish National Fund to have its charitable status withdrawn. That's a that's something that the Canada Revenue Agency began an audit of the Jewish National Fund like two years ago, and it doesn't still doesn't seem like it's it's actually um, finished that audit. Um, and so potentially uh, that organization could have its charitable status lost because of support for the Israeli military. Um, there was another. Uh, 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 a charitable organization in Canada that had its charitable status lost, that lost its charitable status uh, in part because it was supporting uh, the Israeli military. So, so there's there's some degree of of um, of uh, you know un- details that need to be kind of filled into it. But but there are a series of different programs, uh, organizations in this country, um, like the Association for the Soldiers of Israel, uh, Canada. Uh, the Saral uh, Nefesh uh, Benesh Hesek Foundation for Lone Soldiers. That's a that's an initiative that the uh, the uh, owners, its listeners are probably familiar with. That the owners of uh, of um, Chapters Indigo um, um, have launched a number of years ago. Um, but anyways, there's a number of different uh, organizations in this country that that um, support the Israeli military um, in different ways, including. Uh, pushing Canadians to join the military and help enabling them, providing funding, providing uh, linguistic support, uh, um, other forms of support for them to actually go off and, and join the Israeli military. I mean, for our listeners, also an example, uh, they might remember we mentioned it briefly during our coverage of the protest in New York um York, York University, and uh, if our listeners remember, they were protesting an event organized by Khirut, and Khirut is one of these organizations that was accused by Saya, the student against Israeli apartheid, which organized this protest. They accused them of uh, basically trying to recruit um, young Canadians, and also in the U.S. as well. They organized these events uh, in academic settings, so inside universities to kind of promote the Israeli government and hopefully convince some of the young people to go join or volunteer. So that's another example that was in the news lately um, that we covered on the show. Uh, you mentioned the JNF. That's uh, that's a big organization. Usually we talk about them when we talk about the ethnic cleansing of Palestine and land and things like that. But um, as you mentioned, they are also linked to the Israeli army as well. They fund some of the initiative there. So that's another layer that maybe people don't talk about as much. But that's a big organization. So it made me think, you mentioned a lot of other organizations. Are these? Are we talking about big groups here or fringe groups? Like, for example, this charity that was that has its charitable status revoked. I was so surprised that this is a big charity. They raise millions of dollars. I was actually likewise surprised. As someone who's been following um, the different uh, Zionist charitable organizations in this country, um, I was not aware of the group. It's called Beth Oloth uh, Charitable Organization. And in 2017, they actually raised $60 million dollars. So that's a that's a you know that's a major major charity. What it appears to be, and and they lost their charitable status. What it appears to be is a umbrella organization for a number of other um, Israel focused charities, and uh, and uh, and I understand I know that 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 happens in the charitable world quite commonly, where one organization that has charitable status uh, can provide uh, tax credits. 
for other organizations that may not have charitable status. I don't exactly understand why or how the Canada Revenue Agency allows that, but that's common not just with regards to Israel-related charities, but with regards to lots of different uh, uh, charitable organizations. But but that gives you a little bit of this uh, scale. I, I, I really couldn't tell you how much money is raised in Canada for um, charities that support the Israeli military, but it's certainly into the millions, probably tens of millions, and possibly into the uh, you know hundred hundred million range uh, annually. We know that there are hundreds of millions of dollars raised for Israeli charities uh, every year in Canada, uh, and there there are many different organizations that that um, cite the Israeli military. Uh, like I said, you know Sorel, one of the most common ads in the Canadian Jewish News is for Sorel, which is for um, Canadians to volunteer uh, on an Israeli military base. It's usually like a couple weeks, I think, that people go and they they just do sort of like odd jobs from what, from what the literature I've read. They just sort of do odd jobs on on the Israeli military base. And I, and I think that, like, as you kind of mentioned at the start with regards to the lone soldiers, I think Sorel is the same thing. I don't think that from an Israeli military perspective, the you know individuals who are who are volunteering on a base you know maybe cooking food or cleaning the base or doing those kind of things that they are you know that important um, for the Israeli military just like I don't think that the lone soldiers the Canadians Americans Brits wherever else um, that are you know non-Israelis going to fight for the IDF I don't think they're that that important in terms of the functioning of Israeli military but what they are is I think a uh, PR for um, Israelis, so it's a way to basically pressure Israelis that are, you know, either don't like some of what the IDF is doing, or just, you know, simply don't want to be in the military, and you know, they've got something else they want to do, and and to sort of show that there are people from around the world coming in who don't even have to do this, um, uh, are coming in and volunteering. And so it's a it puts pressure on young Israelis to you know take take military service uh, seriously. So there's a PR level there, but there's also I think a PR level with specifically with regards to something like Sorel, where what it's really about is about educating Canadians. It's like a you know it's like a Zionist trip, and it's about you know connecting Canadians to the IDF and developing, you know, warm feelings between uh, Canadians and, uh, and the Israeli military. And, you know, I, presumably with the intention of those people being, you know, advocates for Israel, advocates for the Israeli military, um, you know, when they, when they uh, come back um, to Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, to go back to the event that we were talking about, the, having the Canadian embassy in Israel sort of celebrating these Canadians that are uh, fighting in another country's army not only contradict le- the legislations, but also, I mean, that's a good to remind our listeners and maybe we should remind our politicians. The, the official stance of the country is that uh, West Bank, East Jerusalem, the Syrian Golan Heights and Gaza, they are all occupied. So the official stance of Canada is that there is an illegal occupation happening and then the Israeli government or the Israeli military is committing, is basically violating um, international law. That's the official stance of our country. Now, our politicians maybe don't respect it always. So how bizarre is it? And I guess my question, I, I don't understand and I want to get, you know, your perspective on this. But what, there's one thing to turn a blind eye on this. But what is the purpose of having the Canadian embassy in Israel, not only 
celebrating it. Uh, they're also organizing this event and they were saying they want to make it a yearly event. What is the point? I mean, beside Israel, it's bizarre to have Canadian officials saying they are, I mean, I'm going to quote the, ambas the ambassador. She was saying, uh, we at the embassy are very proud of what you're doing. We both share a love of Canada and a love of Israel. So it's already bizarre to have in Canadian officials sort of saying how they are proud of Canadians, you know, serving in other people's armies. But to have it uh, in Israel in particular, and I guess my question, why do they need to be so open about it? Like, what is the purpose of an event like this? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that, 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 is, that is a good question. My guess is that the vast majority, the vast majority of Canadians would be made uncomfortable by the idea of the Canadian embassy organizing a celebration for Canadians fighting in any country's military. It's that even, you know, including the U.S., as lots of people are pro-U.S. in Canada, they would still be very uncomfortable about the Canadian embassy uh, organizing a celebration for Canadians fighting in the, in the U.S. Uh, military, let alone uh, you know, Mexico or, or Uruguay or the Congo or wherever, where people probably generally sort of less Canadians tend to be, view themselves as less supportive of those countries. Um, and, and then you get into a question of, of, of Israel, where this force is, you know, this is not, um, this is a very belligerent day-to-day -day, uh, occupation, uh, occupation force, and you have the, the ambassador uh, uh, celebrating that. I think that, that the fact that the dominant media in this country did not report on this while uh, what the, the ambassador celebration, while the Canadian Jewish News did, a number of Israeli, milit uh, Israeli media publications did, I think that this is, from the Trudeau government, a, um, a basically a sop to the pro-Israel lobby in this country. And uh, there are, you know, the, the most uh, extremist ends of, uh, of the uh, Zionist community in this country, of the you know, groups like B'nai B'rith, of the established Jewish community, um, they are you know, not supportive of, uh, of uh, the Trudeau government, despite in practice the Trudeau government being incredibly pro-Israel, but they view it as not, you know, not close, not, not, not you know, 100% behind Israel. There was a vote at the UN uh, in December where Canada, for, for the very uh, rare occasion, voted against uh, um, uh, Israel's, uh, you know, position isolating Canada with, with the U Israel, the U.S., and a couple other countries, um, and and so so this this uh, celebration is is a basically a sop to the uh, pro-Israel uh, lobby in this country, and it's a, a sign from the Trudeau government that um, that you know we're we're a strong ally, and and uh, and so it's uh, I think you know quite a embarrassing. Um, uh, uh, spectacle, really. I mean, it's 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 you know part of you know other examples. I mean, the Canadian government delivered a letter to the International Criminal Court a few weeks ago, calling on an International Criminal Court to not investigate uh, Israeli war crime, Israeli war crimes, and that's just after um, Netanyahu uh, sent a letter to Trudeau um, calling on Canada to. Uh, to uh, you know, denounce the International Criminal Court. The Canadian government, you know, seems to have Im implied a threat against the funding that Canada gives to the International Criminal Court. And this is a Trudeau government that is. It claims it's all about uh, 
the international rules-based order and the International Criminal Court as being a you know, pillar of this international rules-based order. And here you have them um, uh, uh, you know, threatening the International Criminal Court on behalf of, of Israel, which is you know, clearly responsible for all kinds of war crimes. I mean, you know, the evidence of this is, is just, you know, absolutely overwhelming. Um, but you have the Trudeau government you know, celebrating Canadians fighting for that military, pressing the International Criminal Court to, uh, to not investigate these war crimes. Um, and I think this is really what it boils down to is, is very narrow um, uh, seeking of support from, from this uh, well-organized and, uh, and quite extremist uh, uh, Israel lobby in this country. You already mentioned a little bit about how these lone soldiers also serve a lot when it comes to propaganda purposes and to kind of project a specific image. I'm looking at numbers. So like I said, 2% of the Israeli military, so the lone soldiers represent only 2% of the Israeli military. Uh, 14% of them uh, actually drop out. This is according to Haaret uh, and Haaret article. Uh, many of them also serve temporary, so it's only a temporary service and they go back to, they must leave the country. This is very contradictory to, like you mentioned, the propaganda or the image of lone, soldier, lone soldiers, at least inside Israel. They're always representing, represented as these heroes that come back to serve their homeland and the Zionist idea and so on. So uh, there's, uh, But there's another image as well represented outside of Israel, which is... Um, Basically, when I was reading, you mentioned the Canadian Jewish News. I was reading several articles. There's this image that uh, is portrayed, how they sell, basically, uh, the, the idea of going and serving and volunteering. It's it's very much represented as this sort of, um, this like the school activities where we're going to go and do cool stuff. I'm going to meet a lot of awesome friends. And <laughs> there's this aspect of it. Tsigi Aoud, who is a senior advisor at the Lone Soldiers Center, he was saying that Lone Soldiers in an earlier era tended to have a stronger Jewish and Zionist identity and showed a greater desire to integrate into Israeli society. Today, joining the Israeli army has become some, something of a trend, like something for Jewish kids abroad to do, just like ours, ours here in Israel, go backpacking to South America after the army. So that, that kind of parallels a little bit how, it's, how this idea is sold in the media and uh, the sort of pro-apartheid media like the Canadian Jewish News. And you kind of wrote an article in December listing a lot of articles that the CJN uh, published about this. So can you maybe talk to us more in details? How, how is it sold? Like the narrative around that trip, how is it sold to young uh, Jews in particular? And do you think it's really effective? Like this shift that this person is talking about, um, talking about how today they're not as ideological as before and they really go there as a sort of activity. Do you see that as a positive thing in a way? Uh, well, I mean, uh, the, if you go back to the to the history of of uh, Israel's creation, uh, Canadians there was hundreds of Canadians that fought in 1947 and 48. Um, Canadians led the uh, is fairly small at the time uh, Israeli Air Force uh, in 47 48. Uh, there were Canadians that were pretty in pretty pretty high command positions. Uh, I don't. That's not the case today, um, and I think that those individuals who went and fought 
um, you know, helped ethnically cleanse Palestine, um, their commitment um, to Zionism was probably stronger uh, than than the uh, you know Canadians that are fighting in Israeli military today. In part because the Israeli military is you know so much more powerful today, so the, the likelihood of being injured or, or killed is you know quite slim. Um, it's almost entirely one-sided in the in the. Uh, um, in the uh, you know killing and injuring, and that's the Israeli side against the Palestinians. Um, uh, so 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 yeah, there, there, there's an element there. I mean, if you if you look at the Sorel ads, it's very clear in the Sorel ads that it's that it's presented as a as a uh, um, sort of a you know fun trip. Um, uh, so so the the they are uh, clearly downplaying. The uh, um, when trying to recruit Canadians, they are downplaying the the uh, um, the sort of you know combat elements and and stuff like that. Um, in 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 you know Jewish day schools, um, they have uh, uh, in Toronto, Montreal, they have um, initiatives that bring uh, Israelis into the schools and then um, go out of their way to. So Israeli emissary will come to a school, um, uh, spend six months or most of a year at a at a school in Toronto, then return to Israel, and then they have events with that person while they are on the mili- a military base, while they begin their their service in the Israeli military, and really sort of promote this the component of of you know these Israelis as, as as soldiers. I think that what they're trying to do is humanize the Israeli military. Um, but, but, you know, I, I can't really say with that much confidence of, you know, to what extent, um, this is successful in terms of, um, you know, convincing a, you know, young Toronto, uh, Jewish kid, um, about, uh, you know, the Israeli military. And I, I can't really say, um, you know, exactly how successful it is in terms of, um, you know, politically speaking, convincing them of the you know the righteousness of the Israeli military. Um, but I, but I, I, you know, I'm, I'm I think it, it, it is uh, you know there are dozens of Canadians every year that are joining the Israeli military, um, and these programs you know continue on. So there so there's clearly some level of of, of success. Do many of these kids uh, sort of you know realize six months into their uh, uh, their service in the Israeli military that they, you know, it's not just this, you know, party atmosphere that they maybe hoped or, or, uh, you know, there's some bad things Israeli military is doing. I would certainly hope that that's the case. And I, I'd be surprised if it wasn't the case at some level. Um, but, uh, but, but it's clear that there is a whole infrastructure in this country, uh, of, of, uh, of, you know, support the Israeli military. One example that the Canadian Jewish news, uh, described, um, uh, a few months ago now was uh, was a initiative of like 70, 80 year old uh, women to knit uh, hats and toques for um, for Israeli soldiers. Um, and I mean, this is like really, you know, every level, you know, from you know grade fours and fives and Jewish day schools and and you know introducing them to to different initiatives around the Israeli military to like old grandmothers and and you know sort of getting them into this 
this sort of oh, I'm going to do my little part to support the Israeli military by you know knitting knit, knitting some some toques. Now this is entirely ideological, like a knitting of toques, like as if the Israel. I mean, Israel is a wealthy country. That's that's <laughs> you know, as if this is somehow important to the Israeli military. This is just part of this whole kind of um, ideological project of of of. of sucking Canadian Jews primarily, but Canadian society maybe more generally, um, into this, you know, support for the Israeli military. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at that level, um, you know, it is uh, it is uh, fairly successful because, uh, uh, you know, there's still many people in this country that will, you know, see Israeli military snipers, um, you know, blowing off the legs of peaceful demonstrators in Gaza, and they will find uh, some sort of justification for what is, you know, clearly by any um, moral standard, completely, uh, completely unjustifiable. Mm-hmm. I want to uh, finish to also look at the money question, uh, how these lone soldiers basically are used to raise, uh, directly used to raise uh, money for the army. And a good example of that, also from the Haaretz uh, article, um, uh, the Friends of the IDF, which is a known, it's a big organization that does fundraising uh, for the Israeli army. They always have big celebrities and so on. And uh, according to the article they raised in 2018, $139 million. That's uh, $17 million more than the previous year. And I'm, co- I'm going to quote an article here. They say, a spokesman for uh, the organization said that on average, each year it allocates a total of $5.5 million for the, quote, well-being of lone soldiers. While, while lone soldiers are the recipients of only a small portion of the funds it raises, Friends of the IDF frequently features them along with their personal stories in its fundraising appeal. It also makes a practice of flying in lone soldiers to its fundraising events in the United States. And then Ilan Benjamin, who participated one time in these uh, events, he's a lone soldier, a lone soldier himself. He said, I'm quoting, I had this sinking feeling all along that I was being used. They had me speak in front of thousands of people. Antonio Banderas and Barbara Streisand were in the crowd. And I have to say, I felt a bit like a pawn, unquote. So there's this business uh, sort of more money aspect. Haaretz even call it the lone soldier business. They explain, and I'm quoting, the lone soldier program has experienced greater visibility in recent years, thanks in no small part to a network of private organizations and government-funded initiatives dedicated to preserving and promoting it. Indeed, few of them existed as recently as a decade ago. And finally, just to uh, just to understand that it's not only organizations, the government itself. For example, there's a program called Garin Zapar, which is a program that basically really tries to recruit people in North America in particular, uh, recruit them to the IDF, so convince them to join the Israeli Occupation Army. And uh, they say that their operating budget is 3.7 million and 70% of it comes from the Israeli government itself. So I guess uh, to end it on this question, I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but this is not only sort of images and propaganda. They really use them and they seem to be very effective to kind of um, get uh, sympathy, I guess, and raise all this money. And the government, I mean, if they spend this much money, they know how important it is. Yeah, but but, but I think that the fact that the Israeli government spends significant money on these initiatives speaks to how it's part of of a, of a kind of 
public relations initiative and, and you know, building support um, mostly in, in you know, Jewish communities in North America. But, but uh, I think there is some element of, of you know, um, actual importance uh, for, the, for the Israeli military, right? The, the JNF helped build a number of different uh, projects on Israeli military bases. And that, that was in the uh, CBC story from you know, a year and a half ago about the JNF's uh, charitable status. And the JNF has you know, talked about their, their support for different, you know, building a gym on an Israeli military base, building, uh, uh, you know, just different, different, uh, uh, um, uh, projects on, on Israeli military bases. So, so there is, uh, some, you know, concrete support, uh, for the Israeli military. And this goes back, this goes back decades in, you know, in Canadian, B'nai B'rith, one the story I tell, talk about in the Canada and Israel book, um, from a number of years ago, uh, Israeli, uh, B'nai B'rith, Sponsored uh, a project on an Israeli military base back in the mid '50s, is the example I'm, I'm remembering now. Um, uh, so, so there there has been concrete support. This is nothing like the you know when Canada was, where uh, uh, when Zionists in this country were were you know shipping weapons to Israel in 1947-48, which was I think actually of you know quite importance to the Israeli military at that point. Now the Israeli military is you know so so big and powerful. Um, that these these forms of support, the actual financial contributions, are are, are fairly limited in their uh, um, overall impact. Uh, but but the but the uh, I think the public relations component um, is probably the more uh, um, important component. But nonetheless, it's, there's still no doubt that there are hundreds hundreds of millions of dollars being raised. Uh, every year in North America for uh, initiatives that in one way or another, um, you know, directly, concretely supporting um, the the Israeli military. Well, thank you very much, Eve. Uh, before leaving, you mentioned a book you wrote before, but you wrote also a book very recently that looks into Justin Trudeau's uh, foreign policy. Um, so before you leave, maybe can you mention a little bit, talk a bit about this book? I know uh, you already had two book launches in Montreal and you're going to continue your book tour. I know you have one, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I know you have one in March uh, 12, uh, 5 p.m. at Librairie Paragraph bookstore which yeah, is yeah there's a, a multi-author uh, book launch the book's called the house of mirrors justin trudeau's foreign policy um and it deals with uh you know critic it's a critical uh look at justin trudeau's foreign policy it has a big section about um the different ways in which uh trudeau has pursued uh, anti-palestinian uh policies um and uh you know other policies in the middle east and uh, uh across the world Okay, so it's uh, March 12, 5 p.m., Librairie Paragraph Bookstore, 2220 McGill College. If people are interested, also for our listeners outside of Montreal, you are continuing your book tour across Canada, so people can go to your website. What is the link to your website? Uh, evengler.com. And they can... Y-V-E-S-E-N-G-L-E-R.com. And they can see all the dates and all that and more about the book. So thank you very much for talking to me today. Thanks a lot for having me. My name is Sausan Kadura and you are listening to Under the Olive Tree.
Welcome back. You are still listening to Under the Olive Tree, the Palestine Solidarity Radio Show on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal and on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario. So we were looking at uh, the issue or the trend or the phenomena or uh, the question of Canadians... Uh, and non-Canadians, other, other non-Israelis basically going and serving in the Israeli army. They are called lone soldiers. And um, the interview you just heard was again with Eve Angler. He wrote an, recently an article a bit about it. And so we discussed it in more detail and in more in-depth. Um, and to see a little bit the bigger picture, why these lone soldiers are uh, in, encouraged, why there's still a lot of money being spent to... Um, for programs that are focused on lone soldiers, despite the fact that at the end, not many people really end up uh, enrolling in the Israeli military. I want to close uh, this by may maybe mentioning also, I mentioned a couple of times in the interview, the Haaretz article. Actually, the Haaretz article was looking at lone soldiers from a different perspective. Um, the article itself wasn't very critical of the Israeli occupation and the Israeli army and what they do in Palestine. Uh, it's uh, Haaretz, it's an in, uh, in Israeli uh, newspaper. But in the article, they were looking at the suicide rates uh, among lone soldiers in the Israeli army. Like I mentioned in the interview, the lone soldiers are only 2% uh, in the, of the army, but uh, they, the suicide rates among them is actually much higher. And so the article was kind of trying to look at the reasons behind them, uh, behind that and what type of support, if any, the Israeli army gives them, what kind of vetting they go through. The, articles, the article explains that actually it's not very hard to enroll uh, a couple of lone soldiers who went and temporarily served uh, in the Israeli army said that it was as easy as, uh, as applying for a library card. So there's not a lot of vetting that go through uh, that these lone soldiers or future lone soldiers go through. Um, and so... I think at the end, I'm going to mention a little bit because um, just a little bit of background, I guess, about the profile of some of these lone soldiers um, that the article was mentioning. So I guess I'm going to I want to first uh, read a quote from Shifra Shahar, who is the CEO of a warm home for every soldier. And so she was explaining a little bit because she works closely with lone soldiers. She was trying to explain a little bit their profile and maybe get an idea why many of them uh, come to Israel and uh, serve in the army and maybe don't have the best way. They don't adjust very well. And this is why maybe you see the suicide rate a little bit higher among lone soldiers than the rest. And she was explaining, quote, most of them come here to escape problems back home. They can't find work. They have no inclination to study. They're the black sheep of their families. Many come from broken homes. Some even have criminal records. records. And someone out there has somehow succeeded in convincing them or their parents that the Israeli army will strengthen them out. Unfortunately, in most cases, the army only aggravates whatever problems they already have, unquote. Also, another quote from sociology, a sociology student who interviewed children of Israelis that don't live in Israel, living abroad, basically, who had decided to enlist. So he interviewed several of them, people who decided to enlist and others who didn't, just to see if there's factors in common between each group's. 
And he said, quote, what I found is that those who decided they didn't want to enlist knew that they wanted to go to college and knew what they wanted to study. Those who decided to enlist did not know what they wanted to study and did not even know if they wanted to go to college at all. Unquote. So these are a couple of quotes uh, from that Haaretz uh, article about lone soldiers and why the suicide rate is much higher among lone soldiers than other Israeli uh, Israeli soldiers. And uh, so on that, I'm going to end it. Uh, but I wanted to mention that. So it breaks a little bit the image, the propaganda image that uh, a lot of uh, Israeli apologists try to put out there in Israel and here in Canada and other countries that you know, this trip is going to build character or it's going to uh, give you, uh, make you meet a lot of friends. Like we mentioned in an interview, um, there is a lot of uh, this uh, rhetoric making it look like it's a trip or you're going on a picnic or something. Uh, you are joining an army. Whatever you think about the Israeli occupation army, it's still an army. So I did want to mention that as well. So we're going to take a small uh, song break and we will be back. Stay tuned on Under the Olive Tree. Yeah, I don't be it. 
That's it for us for today. You are still listening to Under the Olive Tree, the Palestine Solidarity Radio Show on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal and on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario. 
Uh, you are listening right now in the background to look at this. It's a remix. And this is by Tribe called Red. And before that, we listened to Kafi Arabi by Shadia Mansour featuring M1. Final reminder, as usual, that I put usually the link uh, for our interviews if you miss them. It's, uh, you're going to find the link on our Facebook page. Just look for Under the Olive Tree and it's going to be there. My name is Sausan Kadura. I was your host for the hour. Make sure to join me again next week, same time and same place. And until then, I wish you a free, free Palestine. Thank you.